Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Once, twice, three times a dumpy. I'm single again. Oh, hey, everybody. It's your horror boy. Thrice dumped. Again. It is uh, Tuesday night as I'm recording this, and I did not expect to record this. (laughs) I swear a whole different show planned up until uh, an hour ago. Uh, Wallet No Lady has dumped me a third in what I am sure she thinks is a final time and what I'm sure those those around me hope is the final time in as much as they hope we don't get back together and all this this shit happens again. Fuck. Look, I had, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of audibling. I am changing things up as this has happened. I kind of want to capture um, the raw thoughts and feelings and emotions involved. So here's what we're going to do. Um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I have this segment, this interview segment I did. It was going to be a you know, 10, 15 minute thing that would run ahead of like a main guest like I sometimes do, you've heard me bring on somebody else. We did like five to 15 and then the, the main interview happens and this, we did it and it was just so good. It, it ended up going like a half hour and I didn't go longer because I didn't know if they had the time uh, available to keep going and be its own episode. But now it's also kind of too long to just be this like short segment thing. So fuck it. Here's what we're doing. I'm going to play this interview I did. It's about... 25, 30 minutes with doctors uh, Bayham and Higdon. They wrote this book called The Podcaster's Dilemma, and they included uh, me and the Man Whore podcast in it. I think you're going to find it really fascinating. And they talk about why, uh, you know, why what I'm doing here, talking about sex and dating and relationships openly and honestly, as well as, you know, very unabashedly sharing my own ups and downs. And apparently that has some sort of positive effect in the world. Uh, they call me a decolonizing podcast. That was very nice of them. It's uh, <laughs> that was a very nice compliment. So I'm going to play this interview and I think y'all will enjoy that. And then I'm going to tell y'all more about Walla No Lady and how I'm feeling and stuff. Okay, that's what we're going to do. So right now, uh, let me introduce uh, Dr. Nicholas L. Baham third and Dr. Nolan Higdon, authors of The Podcaster's Dilemma. Let's listen to them give me very, very lofty and academic compliments. Certainly going to cheer me up before we, get, before we get into some real shit. Okay. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Drs. Nicholas Baham and Dr. Nolan Higdon. They are the authors of a new book, The Podcaster's Dilemma. Decolonizing podcasters in the era of surveillance capitalism. Uh, Thank you all for coming on. Uh, People may be wondering why I have a couple academics who wrote about podcasting on. Well, I told Nolan before I was uh, doing a deep search of Billy Persida. From time to time, I get very uh, self-flagellating and like to just get to the page six, page seven. Who's saying what about me this time? And I see something for Google Books. And I'm like, Google Books? I was like, what, what am I doing in a Google Books thing? And I see the description of the book where it talks about like anti-colonial. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's probably about me. I'm the colonial partner, aren't I? <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but you, y'all included uh, the Man Whore podcast as well as a bunch of other great podcasts in your book about podcasting. And I was like, I'll pay $40 for an ego boost. Let's see what they had to say. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which, which one of you found my show first? Which one of you might be in trouble with HR at the, at the university for looking up horseshit in the office? Well, Billy, it, it was probably, it might have been me. I also teach a course in black sexualities where we challenge a lot of 
uh, dominant cultural constructions around sexuality, heteronormativity, patriarchy, uh, settler colonial uh, monogamous marriage, things like that. So I think I found you first. And I think that the first podcast I ever listened to of yours, you were talking about um, masturbating um, and then coming on your girlfriend's rug. Yep. And how difficult like me. that was to clean up, etc. I I loved your podcast for that kind of um, immediately for that kind of open discussion about masturbation, which ought not to be. By the way, May is masturbation month. I don't know if you know this, but um, you probably do, right? So um, <laughs> let's celebrate today with that. Um, but the guys, that's um, the bonus episode. Actually, I, I don't know if I told you what we were going to do next. Right. <laughs> so, um, so when I listened to your podcast, I, I, I went to Nolan and I listened to a lot of others, things like horrible decisions, for example, mm-hmm. uh, food for thought, um, or even Latina hot wife adventures, stuff like that, that were challenging these dominant norms of sexuality. So I went to Nolan and I said, look, we're doing a podcast and we're trying to kind of decolonize dominant narratives. Look at all these other people who are doing that. Uh, for us, it was vaguely reminiscent of what was coming out of what revolutionary radio used to do, you know, like in mm. um, in the fight to reclaim Algeria from the French, their voice of fighting Algeria. So it turns out there are some profound continuities with that. And while you might not place yourself in the same kind of lineage as, as something like the voice of fighting Algeria, that's kind of exactly how we see you in wow. uh in interrogating and critiquing and also uh, providing counter narratives for dominant ideologies. You're really helping to free people in many ways. I thought I was just a comedian with a fuck show over Not at all. That's, <laughs> that sounds so much more impressive to tell my father. Uh, so, <laughs> like, thank you for that. Wow. Uh, I believe, I believe the words were, uh, Prasita helps deconstruct through sensationally entertaining commentary. I want that on my tombstone. I'm going to get that one. <laughs> That one page is going to be framed on my wall. <laughs> uh, but but wait, so what what can you tell me more about that? Like how clearly I'm unaware of what it is I'm doing. What is it that I'm doing? Yeah, well, I think one, one of the things we, we picked up on almost immediately um, was just the use of comedy. Um, you know, comedy is a great tool to make difficult is- issues more digestible. And we, we saw a lot of that um, within the podcasting space. But you're, but you're funny in a, in a, in a kind of interesting way. So we, we were contrasting you with things like dominant media, which uh, and legacy media, which often takes itself very seriously and kind of markets that righteous indignation. Mm-hmm. There's very little self-effacement. Uh, for example, if you're listening to a Tucker Carlson, who's telling us for some reason or the other, what we need to do, to be men. And by the way, Tucker Carlson, check yourself in the mirror. I'm not sure that you fully classify for that. But, um, you know, you, right. You have, you have this self, a lot of our decolonizing podcasters are very self-effacing. So they're experts, but they don't necessarily beat you over the head with how embedded they are in the community or how expert they are. They're willing to be wrong about issues. They're willing to risk their necks for very controversial types of things. And most importantly, as Nolan says, laugh at themselves. And that's what is drawing audiences to you is that lack of kind of uh, self-righteous indignation, if you will. I didn't know, by the way, y'all weren't talking about masturbation too. I thought we were all talking about it. So we're all talking about it. Yeah. Good. I'm I'm not the only one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's one of the things we, we, you know, immediately found in, in the text, right? So we're, we're looking at these podcasters who are dealing with these very serious issues, right? About, um, sexual norms and racism and sexism and economic inequality. So these are really like important issues. And sometimes, yes, they are introduced with humor, but it's, we think it's done in a really constructive way. So this book is really a celebration of, of podcasting Mm -hmm. culture, um, in a lot of ways. As part, as part of that story, you know, we also said, you know, we are concerned. We are, you know, scholars of media. We, we've seen how in the past uh, these media spaces have opened to talk about controversial issues and then been taken away. And, and one of the things we bring up in the text is, um, you know, a lot of the places uh, where folks are posting information, big tech controls what can and can't be posted and what uh, users will and won't see. And this book is kind of also a warning as saying like, look, we need to protect this space. There's a lot of incredible work going on here. There's a lot of um, uh, 
I think hope for the future if, if podcasting continues to develop and we don't want to see, you know, big tech overlords or anybody else take that away. Mm-hmm. Podcasting is blowing up year after year. We're seeing like the Edison research is saying like more and more people know what a podcast is. It's pretty much just like my grandparents don't know. They're like kind of the only ones left. Uh, it's like more people know what a podcast is. More people are listening to podcasts. Uh, more people are listening to podcasts for longer periods of time. What is so special about the medium of podcasting? Well, you know, uh, in addition to content, Billy, uh, and I'll let Nolan speak to uh, some of this too, because he has a really interesting analogy with punk rock. One of the things Mm -hmm. we found is that you guys are not operating, those of you who can be called decolonizing podcasters, you are not operating on the same capitalist model as legacy media. You have absolutely- That sounds like a really fancy way to say, we make less money. (laughs) No, what what it means is that you're willing- to share the pot with other like-minded podcasters. You cross promote. Mm -hmm. You put other people on your show in order to promote their podcasts. They put Mm -hmm. you on their show to promote your podcast. There isn't a sense of, you know, look, uh, I'm the big dog and I'm going to eat all the other little dogs in the market. There's this, there's a sense of we're in a community. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're going to share and we're going to help one another's voices get out. Nolan, you have a really good analogy for this to punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in like the the San Francisco Bay Area, what I saw in podcasting reminded me of what I saw growing up in like punk rock culture where, um, you know, you're sort of lame if you kind of only promote yourself, like the real people in the community promote others. And so um, I see in some of these podcast shows, they're always referencing other podcast hosts, other podcast programs. They're having them on as guests. And you get you get the sense of a real like community that's just like, interesting, curious people who are doing great work versus like, you know, these kind of like vapid, greedy um, competitors, which is what we saw in previous mediums, right? We see like cable news networks compete against each other. Or mm-hmm. if people are old enough to remember in like the 90s, like Howard Stern would try and compete with other like shock jocks to take over markets. Yeah. Podcasting is just totally different, man. It's, it's way much more like cooler, inviting environment. There, there are listening hours for everybody. Like, yeah. I, you know, you don't have to choose one or the other. You could even see that in like vertical corporate entertainment structures where it's like that cross promoting can happen, but like only within the network or within a Viacom channel. So like, you know, who you see on Colbert, probably more, those guests are more likely probably to be owned by CVS. I think that's Viacom and, you know, like they kind of keep it in the vertical. Uh, Whereas in with podcasters, yeah, no, like we're just, we're good fits for each other's audiences. Let's, let's share the pot. Yeah. Like you said, share the pot. And that's one of the that's one of the fears we have in the in the in the book is, um, you know, we're we're saying, like, let's keep it in this open environment. One of the things we don't want to happen is where, you know, you can only get certain podcasts on like certain um, websites or or Mm -hmm. certain outlets that house it. We don't want it to go in that same model that so much of corporate media is gone. We like kind of the open, accessible environment it currently is. And they're trying to do that. They keep trying to do it. Luminary, the Spotify exclusive. But you know what? Aside from maybe the Spotify exclusive shows, like these, which Spotify has its own thing already going on, these new platforms that are like, we'll be the Netflix for podcasting. But people are like, I'm not going to pay for that. You mm-hmm. know? So like, we're already seeing those attempts and they'll fucking shove hundreds of millions of dollars into it. But they're really starting to flop and fail. Luminary got like, you know, less than a percentage point of the overall market share like probably at its peak. It's it's right. wild. But like, so there's some sort of a audience resistance to that too. Like it's like audiences don't seem to want to play into that either. Well, well audiences are, are hungry for the kind of content that you're providing. The, mm-hmm. Not just the humor um, that you provide and you're, you're quite funny. Right. But, but there's insight <laughs> in, in every one of your broadcasts, there's insight. There's normalization of things that are otherwise considered aberrant behavior, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you want another thing to put on your tombstone. I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, when I first read Henry Miller, how he just normalized sex. It was like eating, right? It was just, okay, that's cool. So for me, you're you're also kind of a, a Henry Miller of the airwaves to some degree. People want that. They're, that's not in legacy media anywhere. You can't talk about you know, non-monogamy and masturbation and, 
you know, uh, a trans desire or any of these kinds of things in legacy media. Yet that's the way most people are experiencing their lives, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to you because you reflect and are a closer voice to the streets of the way that people are actually experiencing their lives. And that in and of itself is decolonizing, right? Yeah. You're not you're not brainwashing anybody. You're saying, dude, this is like what you're seeing every day, okay? Yeah. So let's just talk about that and put that front and center. Can, can you define that term, decolonizing? Yeah, so what we're talking about specifically are uh, pushing back against European colonial norms. And so what we're talking about here are things like racism, sexism, uh, gender binary, uh, heteronormativity, um, frankly, neoliberalism, acceptance of the class structure, acceptance of predatory capitalism, things like that. Things that we often take for granted. The, they're most powerful because we take them for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Things are the way they are. We just accept that. Podcasts like yours are decolonizing because you call into question the very things, the very structures of power that we take for granted. So why do we accept a gender non-binary? There's a power construct behind that, right? I mean, whether that's in medical institutions and medical journals and medical research or in universities, there are, or drug companies, right? There's a power construct behind that. When you critique that, you're shaking that shit up. Mm-hmm. And that's and, what and, we mean by decolonizing. And correct me if I'm talking out my ass, if, if this isn't it, but do people and like say, so does audience get trapped into that structure in feeling like we're not supposed to talk about these things? But yeah. hey, Billy's doing it in that I have an interesting issue where I find that it's hard for my listeners will tell me privately. They will tell friends privately about the show. But unlike other podcasts they listen to, they will not share my show on social media because they don't want to be associated with sluttiness, non-monogamy, kink, what have you. Even though sharing a show doesn't say you're inter- you're doing a thing, it means you're just interested in hearing about it. Uh, but also, if you were doing it, who gives a fuck? So is what you described trapping an audience also? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shaming behind you know transgressing dominant norms. And that's really what you're referring to here. You're transgressing those dominant norms or people who enjoy it, but they enjoy it privately because they know that going out into the corporate world and sort of blasting the man whore podcast in your cubicle still will incite some degree of shame. At the mm-hmm. same time, though, if, if you were to actually do that, and I do that in my classes, I've shared your podcast in my classes, um, but uh, if you were to do that in the public sphere, you also break a lot of shit up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you really challenge well, things. Well, if I can jump in on that point, I mean, th- that's, I mean, I think that's a really a, a point we should repeat because so much of the, the media in this country, you know, it's a really narrow, it's like six to nine corporations control the majority of, of media that people interact with. They give a real distorted view of the world. You know, they would never draw attention to the, the topics in which you're talking about. And that's why, you know, folks like yourself and these other podcasters we profiled are seen as such a threat to them. So they've, they've launched this, you know, war on quote unquote new media and they've asked for shadow banning and demonetization and Google to alter its search engine and all these things under the auspices of fighting misinformation. But really what they're trying to do is suppress their competition because you guys you know, all stand in direct contradiction to what they've claimed for years, right? They've claimed that audiences, you know, are, are too, too stupid to deal with complex issues. They like short sound bites. They like high broadcast quality. And then here's these ragtag podcasters from like their living room, you know, discussing like a sexual act for like three hours and drawing like audiences attention engagement to levels that the corporate media can only dream of. And so I think for, for those reasons, that's why you see this pushback. You guys actually are a threat to kind of the established order collectively. Yeah. We can't let him get a hand job on microphone. What? (laughs) This must be stopped. Right. Right. And exactly. One of the greatest moments in broadcast history. And I would say to you too, that there are, even though you may not think that this is happening, I believe that there are like profound social justice implications of the work you do. So mm-hmm. let's take, for example, um, you know, acceptance of trans desire or trans identity, right? Uh, coming through your broadcast. 
there are real issues in our in America right now around trans, the murder of trans people. So for you to normalize trans lives, trans desire, um, you know, and step outside of the gender non-binary with your critique, with your with your comedy, with your guests, that it, that has some real profound implications in a world where people are really getting hurt and killed by mm-hmm. dominant ideologies and people who are going around, you know, committing hate crimes in the name of supporting those dominant ideologies. Yeah, and they don't have to be stuck in them either. Look, I didn't always. I've been doing the show eight years. I started when I was 24. I'm about to be 33 soon. So it's like, I'm also documenting some change on, on these things. I remember if you listen to the first year of the podcast, you will hear like my real hot take on the concept of transgender and like yeah. it is in a very different place now. And uh, that's not just to say like, Oh look, I changed, but more like, Hey y'all you, it's okay. If you don't get it now, you're allowed to learn and, 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 and progress on it. Right. Um, which kind of leads into, I think, the last question I had, which was, you know, gender and sexuality is a section that is primarily filled with a lot of minority voices and minority populations, right? Like whether you're dealing, like whether it's women or uh, racial minorities or trans people or different genders and sexual orientations, uh, kink subcultures, and yet um, I'm not. L- look at my face. I'm like none of these things. Uh, it, you know, is there a problem with someone like me tackling such heavy issues? And especially when like, I'm not, how do I rephrase this? What are the implications of someone like me, tr- quote unquote, leading conversations like this about these topics, not being necessarily part of these communities? So, I mean, the, the thing is, is that you, we're not talking about skin color here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about whiteness. As a, as a construct of power, the degree to which you critique actually not only race, but you critique um, white masculinity as it has been structured, you know, as a colonial construct, right? Um, mm-hmm. Patriarchal, uh, associated with violence, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and rape, frankly. Um, the degree to which you've dismantled that is marks a degree to which you've dismantled whiteness. Because you've been willing to dismantle aspects of whiteness and power, that allows you to open up a conversation with a lot of different folk. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. You're willing to open up the conversation. The truth of the matter is that America could use more uh, European American folk like you who are willing and able to just throw themselves wholeheartedly into dismantling key aspects of whiteness. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idea of like, you know, when, when I, you know, if we, if we keep in the topic of race, when they say, well, yeah, we're all yelling and screaming, but we would like you white people to yell and scream about this too. Yeah. They actually might even have more weight when they see That's one right. of their own saying, why you say that. That's right. Yeah. I think there's been, um, you know, I don't know this, there's particularly a dangerous version of like identitarian politics where we, we now sort of say some groups can talk about some things and other groups can't. And, and I think if we want to live in a, in a democracy that that's frankly asinine, um, we all need to be able to communicate about all issues all the time in a responsible and constructive way. And we need to engage mm-hmm. each other in, in difficult conversations. And if that means, if that necessitates using comedy or developing podcast communities, like so be it. Um, but this idea that we should sort of check ourselves and engaging in any topics um, because of a narrow identity, I think is, is toxic for democracy. Absolutely. Uh, fellas, is there, you know, aside obviously from like getting the book, which I think people should do, if anything to check out the, I think it's uh, roughly four or five pages I'm on uh, besides getting the book. Is there anything in particular you think is really important listeners hear from you about the medium of podcasting? Well, we're, we're concerned about the dilemma, right? Nolan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I one of the, the, the big takeaways I hope from this text is that folks will rethink, um, if they haven't already, about just the value of this space and what it means to protect it. And, um, you know, we, we hear a lot of proposals about, you know, we need to get rid of these voices, these hate mongers or these fake news producers. And, and oftentimes, you know, I, I agree the world will be better without those things. However, um, usually when you empower institutions, particularly industry and government, to start removing content, 
it starts to bleed into other areas. And so it may start with uh, the, like the Alex Jones of the world, for example, um, but it very quickly becomes like the left wing activists who are, you know, challenging um, norms and sexual norms and things like that. So um, what, what do you think that- about banning not them from like the medium of podcasting? But when Spotify says we don't want to have this on here, no one's stopping anyone from having an RSS feed. Right. Certain platforms which might say, I don't want you on ours. But do you think that's like a fair in between? I was just gonna say it becomes a slippery slope because um, we know like Google and social media companies are actively, um, you know, under pressure from government to remove certain content. So if Google privileges Spotify at the top of people's searches for podcasts, then you've essentially buried those other podcasts that can't appear on Spotify. And that's where we're kind of worried about this space becoming where unless you're savvy enough to find a, a podcast you already know exists, a lot of these folks who are doing great work are going to get buried in, in big tech's algorithms. Mm-hmm. Nick, and it looked like do, you had something to say. Well, we do recommend in the book the uh, uh, several things. One, the breakup of big tech. So that, you know, like if you've got a company like Spotify that decides that it's going to censor according to certain lines, it's not the dominant voice in the market, right? Mm -hmm. The dominant content provider in the market. That's the real problem is the kind of potential monopolization of that space. The other thing is that we do advocate for um, something like Canada's law around privacy, where individuals themselves can choose what data uh, can be publicly uh, shared, um, and they can edit that as well. So we're also concerned with people who listen to the Man Whore podcast who are then being identified through surveillance capitalism as listeners of the Man Whore podcast and have specific things marketed to them that they may or may not want to engage with. Because consider, Billy, that might discourage, discourage a lot of people from actively listening to the podcast. I feel like a few people just hit unsubscribe as you said. No, but we solved that problem with, uh, with things like the Canadian law or the European law, uh, which allow, we don't have anything like this in the United States that would allow consumers to actually look at the, their data that's online and say, okay, I don't want to share that. It's also about nudging you in particular directions too. And that's another danger of surveillance capitalism. They have enough data on you that you've given up voluntarily that they can kind of push you politically. And we see that this is a really big game in the political sphere now. And so then, and then, you know, to leave people with um, a call to action, so to speak, what are things an individual can do to support these uh, decolonizing podcasters? Oh gosh, I'm going to just get a bracelet with that. Uh, Is it, what, what can individual listeners do to support those shows and to protect their favorite indie shows? And by indie, I mean they're not part of NPR or, or something, you know, um, WNYC or something like that. What can, what can people do? What can people listening right now do to support the shows they love? Well, I think, um, I mean, I think at some level people are already doing it in like a very kind of fascinating way. You know, people are increasingly turning off legacy media and going to these, these new media outlets. So continuing to do that and, and supporting folks, um, with money, if you can, of course, or drawing attention to them by, by sharing them, um, with your friends and, and such politically, I, I think people should can, can, uh, push themselves to be more savvy as well and, and resist this kind of knee jerk urge to remove content online. And also, you know, support politicians who are really talking about breaking up big tech um, in a way, um, and even more at an individual level. Um, folks can also look at like encryption, you know, trying to like hide your hide your communications and, and develop some privacy in this surveillance capitalist world um, to any level they can. And again, Billy, you know, look, uh, hit subscribe for the Manhor podcast, support the Manhor podcast. If this is one, what you want to listen to, continue to be a part of the community. And at the same time, as Nolan says, advocate for the breakup of big tech and for laws that protect our privacy. There is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't have these things. And frankly, if, our, if we made our vo- votes dependent upon you know, our privacy in the digital space, we get some action on this. Well, guys, I can't wait to read the whole book. Like I said, I've only read four four pages. Um, some of them are disconnected, but I look forward to reading the whole thing. And thank you again for making time to come on. Uh, where can people go to follow y'all to your work? And uh, obviously, I'll have a link in the show notes for The Podcaster's Dilemma. 
Oh, uh, you can find uh, find our work at uh, projectcensor.org. Nick and I are both associated with them and follow us on Twitter. I'm at uh, Nolan underscore Higdon and Nick is at Dr. Dreadlocks. We also had a podcast called Along the, Along the Line, which we may be reviving uh, in the near future. We just sort of took a hiatus to write this book. Super cool. I can't wait to hear about you coming on a rug. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm on a rug right now, Billy. And it is Masturbation Month. Be brave, Nick. Be <laughs> brave. <laughs> you guys Thank are super you, fun to chat with. I, I I would love to have y'all back. If anything else big happens in the podcasting world that you think people need to know about, uh, or if you just want to like continue throwing really like lofty academic compliments at me, uh, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> we got you, Billy. We got you back. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again, fellas. And why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Take care, podcast universe. Absolutely. Man whore universe. Thank you for having us. Okay. Welcome back everybody. Uh, you know, I want to give a shout out real quick to Alec in this fan whore appreciation moment. I want to say thank you to fan whore Alec. Thanks for supporting a decolonizing podcast. I don't think any of us realize that's what you were doing and supporting me, but that's apparently what you're doing. So you can feel good about your pledge. Uh, and if you want to also support this indie podcaster, keeping things out of surveillance capitalism or whatever it is I'm allegedly doing here, uh, you can support me and this show on Patreon. It's the best place you can support the pod. And you can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you don't dig the Patreon thing, I got my Venmo and Cash App or in the show notes, my Amazon wish list in the show notes. You want to send me some uh, Get Better Soon Billy Breakup Candy? Hit me up. What the fuck happened? Look, uh, I've been pretty open. It's been a very up and down, I want to say seven months. Actually, next week was supposed to be our fucking one year anniversary. May 23rd. May 23rd, that morning I woke up and I was swiping on tinder i you know it was a few months out from my breakup with megan and feeling fucking great and get getting on with life and i was in this new apartment in this new situation and things were looking bright i matched with this woman and i'm like you look so familiar and i realized that it's a woman i i knew freshman year of college she was the fourth roommate of my three college friends suite you know, my friends, Katie, Robin, and AJ, like we would all hang out and they had this fourth roommate who didn't come out often, but I would, she, she hang out a few times, but she was always busy studying after freshman year. I don't see her until college graduation and at NYU, they do the university wide commencement at Yankee stadium. Pretty fucking cool. And all the students were up in the stands. Like we were watching a game. And the only students that would be on the field are the, you know, the valedictorian, the, the, the valedictorian of each individual college within the university. And, you know, as the, those smarty pants are walking out onto the field in the opening ceremony, you know, they're flashing their faces on the big screen and like the jumbotron, you know, like when A-Rod would hit a homer, except uh, for when you hit it out of the park academically. And I'm sitting with my besties and we see on the big screen wallet no lady and i'm tapping katie i'm like is, is that fucking wallet no lady she's like it's fucking wallet no lady i was like oh my god of course she had a name keeping that under wraps i was like holy shit and then, you know i don't see this woman again until i match with her on tinder she instantly asked me about the non-monogamy and very quickly that morning after i'd gone for a run i said hey you want to grab coffee we grabbed coffee that day. She's out of a 12-year relationship and marriage. Her just her life circumstances were just drastically changing. She had a plan for her life that was no longer going the way it was going to go. And, you know, I thought I was going to have more of like a hot vac summer. I was going to have a hot guy summer. Hot single guy, slutty summer. The man whore stuff is back after a, after a rough relationship and COVID. And I fucking meet this lady and hit it off. At the, at the end of coffee, I 
yeah, I'm, I make it clear, like, yeah, I would like to see you again. She's like, yeah, I'd like that too. I, I walk her. I'm, I'm, I ask if I can walk her back to her building. She stops me at the corner uh, before her building because there, she has this like old lady who would sit outside of her building uh, next door and just judge her. And she was like, a, it's just this old raggedy, negative fucking lady who just sit outside and say passive aggressive shit like, so where's your husband? So she stopped me at the at the corner before she's like, I, I want you to walk me to my building, but I don't want to deal with the shit from this woman because like, I, you know, I just left my husband last week and nobody knows. I was like, OK. And, and, I, and I asked I asked her if I could kiss her. She said, yeah, I leaned in and we had this great kiss. Wasn't like a big over making out, just like a really sweet kiss on these sweet, full lips. One of those kisses that kind of lingers at the end. And you slowly open your eyes and you're like, whoa. I walked away and I and I thought to myself, I'm in trouble. Because I knew. You know when you just like fucking know? I knew. I didn't just know like, wow, that was like strong chemistry. This is someone I, I want to go on a romantic track with. I was like, I'm in trouble because this woman has never done homonogamy before. Uh, just left her husband. And I, if I stick around, I will fall in love with her. And I did. The non-monogamy is not why we broke up. It's always what I thought would lead to us breaking up. It's what I was always nervous and scared about. Turned out, you know, it turned out it was just my personality. Look at that. My fucking temper. I didn't know I had an anger problem. It's come out in other relationships. It's not like this is the first time I've ever seen it, but this is the first time it's kind of been named. And I don't think anyone ever like said like, hey, you have an anger problem or like, hey, you're angry and it scares me. I've never hit a partner. You know, I barely will hit someone in a bar who deserves it. I'm realizing uh, that anger came from a place of like fear or pain. And often the fear was a fear of experiencing pain. I've been uh, naming and, and expressing, wanting to talk about my anger with my now two therapists. I'm not rolling in dough, everybody. Uh, one of them's free because I don't roll in the dough. And the other one's a group therapy that's heavily discounted. Um, but that's something I've been addressing for the last five months or so, five, six months. And I and I wanted to address it because it was scaring wallet no lady. And you know, and I really don't think I have some sort of hair trigger where like someone brings me the wrong piece of toast and I'm calling you a stupid fucking bitch. Um, I'm, I'm not usually the type to get angry and um, call you mean, nasty names, but I'm trying on the idea that I'm, I hold a lot of anger from a lot of past shit. And I hate that that um, literally scared her away. I literally scared away. Someone I think is, uh, you know, I, th I think is the person. Let me tell y'all, son. Uh, so I made a post on Reddit a couple weeks back uh, for a woman for a very particular type of scene. And it was kind of a vulnerable scene to share. And someone responded. We were starting to talk and she seemed like a great, um, a really great fit. And uh, she gave me she gave me her number so I could then get her address and I shot her a text be like okay cool I'm gonna take a shower uh, where where am I going and uh, the texts don't go through and it doesn't go through again I'm like oh I think she blocked me she couldn't block my number that's weird so I message I DM'd her on Reddit from the the account and I realized that she's blocked me on that Reddit and I messaged her on an alt account I was like hey it's Billy I. I think, did you block me on the other one? Um, I'm not going to yell at you. I just would like clarity. I did just share something super vulnerable with you. Um, 
that hurt. That's it. I didn't go off on her. I didn't like write a whole big fucking thing. I didn't get self-righteous. I just was like trying to get a reality check. And I'm letting you know that that hurt. And I just left it. Later that day, she messaged me. And she was like, hey, yeah, I did. I panicked once I gave you my number because it made it feel more real. And all of a sudden, I got nervous and cold feet. She shared that she was still dealing with her own breakup and that it might have been a sign that uh, she's not ready yet. She apologized and, and thanked me for kind of like not freaking out on her. I have realized again, angry doesn't usually get me very far. I thought I maybe had learned that in time. I thought I had learned that in time to get the ball rolling on correcting that so that I don't scare this woman I love with my reactions to things that might frustrate me and aggravate me or even hurt me, but there are ways beyond anger to deal with it that might get me what I want, that might get me resolution or an apology or a different outcome. You know, I said to this this stranger on Reddit and you know, I had shared that exchange in the champagne room and I said, someone was like, oh, I'm surprised you even were nice to her. This, that, and the other thing. And I was just like, yo, I've tried being angry. It didn't get me very much. It got me hated by a bunch of people on Twitter in the sex positive and sex education spaces. It's gotten me into absurd fights with other toxic significant others. I didn't I I left my family for 2 years. I cost my mom like two or three Christmases with all the kids being home, which I still feel terrible about. And being angry when I'm scared or hurt might have cost me an entire life. That's what I had in mind. I know this is going to sound dramatic or over the top or extreme or hyperbolic. And I just don't know how else to say to you, you'll have to trust me when I say this felt different. I have compared and contrasted this relationship and my feelings since I met her. Like when I felt right away, when, you know, when I was, when I walked away being like, I'm in trouble because I'm going to blank, you know, and like I spent some time trying to be like, am I just having extreme new relationship energy or is this actually this? And I just kept checking in like, okay, around this much time in with Paige or with Megan or with Shay, like, how did it feel? Um, during that first breakup back in December, you know, I compared it to the other breakups. Um, did it feel like this? Did it feel like that? It's just different. Those other breakups happen. I'm like, that didn't work out. This happens each time we've broken up. I'm like, this, but this will work out because this is, this is it. This is her. This is, this is the chick. And she feels the same way about me. She also agrees that the chemistry is insane. I started this podcast eight years ago because women would sleep with me, but they wouldn't date me. And I wanted to find out why. I'm, I guess I told myself a tale. That it was always like I had terrible timing, which, you know, who knows? Maybe that's true. I did meet this woman literally a week after she left her husband. But I would tell myself back then in my in my early 20s, I would say like, oh, well, I meet women right before they, they leave for grad school or they're going to go to a new city or right after a really big relationship and they're not ready to be dating or I meet them like while they're dating multiple people and they just end up choosing the other guy. I mean, I, I thought it was a product of timing and circumstance, bad luck, but, but maybe it was just me. The first, like the first, you know, damage to that armor that I, I built uh, was really early on. I think that was episode two or whatever the comeback episode was for Mistress J, where I kind of allude to how like, oh yeah, no, we slept sleeping together because you started dating the other dude and you wanted to be monogamous with him, right? And Jay was like, no, that came months later. I wanted to stop sleeping with you because I wanted to stop sleeping with you. And I didn't think we were too much of a fit and this, that, and the other thing. I was like, oh, 
oh, like, am I an unreliable narrator? Is that possible? With all the whoo, rockiness with Shay, they would always like accuse me of, of uh, gaslighting. And at the time, I was still kind of confused as to the term. It was um, just really starting to catch on in the mainstream. Uh, it, it, before Fox News would use the term gaslighting, you know, and uh, Shay would like describe what gaslighting is. And then um, I would be like, well, it sounds like you do that, too. But they would be like, no, and you're rewriting history and this that, and the other thing. I remember after that relationship ended, I went to the movies. I saw this movie called Life Itself starring Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaac. I think it's available on Amazon Prime now. And the concept of the unreliable narrator um, is uh, one of the through lines in there. And I just kept thinking of Shay being like, Shay's right that I'm an unreliable narrator. But like, we're all unreliable narrators. It was my first introduction to like to accepting that we all experience an event different ways and no one's necessarily wrong. I'm frequently asked if I do an interview where someone's really interested in the origin of the podcast, usually the second or third question is like, so what did you learn from this experiment interviewing past partners? Sometimes I think the answer is nothing. Maybe I wasn't listening while trying to execute this, these podcasts. Or maybe the people I would learn the most from, for the most part, won't do the podcast. The people I need to hear that feedback from the most haven't been on the show, have declined. Maybe I just had on women I fooled around with and we like recapped silly sex stories. Sometimes I think I didn't learn jack shit from interviewing my exes. I don't know. It's moments like these that make me... uh question it i'm glad i don't put myself out there as like some sort of authority on dating oh my gosh i don't i don't want to become uh, the next i don't want to be, find myself in an aziz in an aziz and sorry situation where uh whatever the incident itself is is only amplified by the fact that one called themselves an authority on a topic uh, you know i've frequently joked that i'm professionally bad at dating but that reality is um Starting to get sad. I don't want to like fall on a sword and be like, I fucked up here. I fucked up here. She fucked up too in spots. And there were spots that were like, maybe she just wasn't in a place ready to date again. And yet still, I could have had more patience. I could have had more understanding. I could have been less afraid. Afraid that it was going to end. I was afraid I was going to allow disrespect to happen to me since in my previous relationship, I allowed some serious disrespect to just go down unchecked. Part of me was like so concerned with making sure I don't get disrespected in this one. I remember after the breakups with Paige were done and and thinking like I could have been a better boyfriend in that relationship. I mean, frankly, after the first of the three breakups with Paige, I remember I did that like a uh, Facebook live that I, I got yelled at for that nobody watched, uh, which is crazy for to be yelled at a thing. And they they didn't watch the thing that they're yelling at you for. So they don't actually know wh- why they're yelling at you. I, I did this thing when I recorded with Adam Lucidi, which is, I, I don't even know what episode, episode one something. And, you know, during a portion of the episode, we, Paige had, right before he came over, she had dropped off a bag of my stuff. And I was like, let's, let's unbag my stuff on Facebook live and go through these artifacts. And people thought, uh, people who like knew us personally, obviously not you people, cause you understand me acquaintances and friends and family f- were like appalled when I announced I was going to do that on my Facebook live being like, Hey, tune in in like a half hour. And they were like, how could you dare? This is a betrayal. I can't believe you talk shit about page like that. Hadn't done it yet. By the way, these comments came in before the Facebook live happened. And only three people watched the Facebook live. One was an Irish fan. The other was page herself. And the third was like some other listener in Texas. Like (laughs) nobody watched it, but they all had something to say. They all thought I was going to shit on my ex. 
And you know why? Because if they were in my position, they would shit on their ex. But you know what we did? Adam and I went through everything in that bag. and We talked about how I could have been a better boyfriend via these things, this shirt, this book, this, these uh, pretzels. I hold a lot of anger from childhood. I hold a lot of anger from high school. I hold a lot of anger over the bullying. I hold a lot of anger over people who are supposed to, you know, who are charged to protect me and they didn't. I just, I just hold a lot of anger over um, the past. Well, that, that anger may have cost me a future that up. I, a future I never imagined, but really, really want. And unfortunately, it's a future that I don't want with just anyone. I want it with her. I'm also really scared about feeling lifelong regret. I have regrets for my past relationships, but I don't have like like a like lifelong regret. I don't wake up most mornings thinking about how if only this, then this relationship would have stayed. I am really scared. I'm going to wake up a lot of mornings thinking how I could have done something differently. I'm scared in 10 years I'm still going to be thinking about this. Even though I know she could have done shit differently. I know she has her shit too, right? Like I know I sound like I'm falling on a sword. But I guess like I don't think it's my job to come here on this podcast and like badmouth wallet note lady. I've uh, I've made my complaints to her clear. I have given my feedback. And I don't think y'all need to uh y'all don't need to know what my feedback to her was. Just know that like I had it and she re- you know, she received it. I'm not scared I won't find love again, you know? I loved Paige and Megan, right? Like I I did. But it was not the same as this. And I am scared of falling in love and then it not being the same as this and knowing that this exists out there with Wallet No Lady. I I wouldn't even want to date that woman. It would almost feel disrespectful to her to be like, I love you. And in the back of my head, always knowing, but not like I did her. What else or who else could live up to that? And like in my defense with that statement, I have dated a lot of people. I've hooked up with, I have made connections with hundreds of women. I've had a decent sampling. This is the one who stands out among the quote unquote, the ones, the plural, the ones, the ones you do fall in love with and want to be with. So where do I go from here? What do I learn? What do I take from this? How do I do better. Well, you know, I think I'm starting to get it. Like being angry is not usually going to get me very much. I could have yelled at that chick on Reddit pretty justifiably because it's pretty shitty. Just like someone shares something incredibly vulnerable with you and say, yeah, great. Here's my number. Then you instantly block them, block the number. I mean, we can't go after everyone who's ever ghosted us on the internet. There's just not enough time. But I could send like one last self-righteous, indignant, I, I forget what the word indignant means. I think it fits there. I could send this, you know, fuck you. But what would that have gotten me? Being angry did not get me what I wanted. Not only did it not get me what I wanted, it lost me um, what I held most dear. So, breathing, uh, taking a beat before sending replies being compassionate and thinking like where they might have been coming from that chick on reddit you know i thought to myself okay like she's probably not trying to like be shitty and like tell people um a a secret fantasy you have right she probably just got cold feet she probably just panicked and if that's the case then what type of response do i want to have do i want to be angry at someone who's scared no I think that's empathy. I'm still trying to learn. I have a couple exes who who, who used to say I uh, I, I uh, Billy doesn't have empathy, and then my friends were like, "Billy, you cry at like everything. You have too much empathy." <laughs> 
Um, so shortly before the first of these breakups with Wallet No Lady, uh, she sent me this this Willie Nelson song, um, Just Breathe. And at first I was listening to it um, and I thought like I was Willie in it. And then I listened to it like over and over again, coming home from this Jets game. And I'm off the train, I'm walking to my apartment and it finally clicks with me that she is Willie. She's instructing me. She's telling me to calm down, to just breathe, to stay with her and breathe. And I broke down in tears because we had just had this huge fight and I, trust me, she she had her parts that she's wrong about, but like my anger came out in in full force. It was really bad. One of the ugliest moments of my life, probably. And even then, she said, stay with me. You're all I need. Just breathe. I should just fucking calm the fuck down. Listen more. Talk less. Fuck. Fuck. Fuck, fuck. I'm sorry to give you, I don't even know how long this is because this is getting chopped down, trust me, but um, fuck, I, I'm sorry to give you all was probably about a half hour of me crying, but that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and yet I still like have this hope that it can work out because I do think it can. The things she, uh, she listed super surmountable like there are things that are either being worked on or can be worked on or aren't even really a thing in the first place and yet um i still hold on to hope that this can work out and that she'll uh you know she will do her hot girl summer and and realize she dated and didn't see anyone like me and get curious enough to be like i wonder if any of that stuff is different I had trouble making eye contact with her on the FaceTime. Not because, I mean, not in the way that we all have trouble on FaceTime making eye contact. You're like, do I look at the screen? Do I look at the camera? Screen, camera, screen, camera. I mean, I was looking away from my phone for a lot of that uh, that conversation. And, and she, you know, I was like, maybe one day she's going to call me to to get coffee. And she alluded to the same at some point. And the last thing I said to her was, well, you have my number. And then I just reached over to my screen and I I ended the call. No goodbye, no take care of yourself, no I love you. Well, you have my number. Which even then, still anger, still hurt. I don't think that's going to get me very far. And if I want a chance at happiness and not being some curmudgeon comedian which hey there there's a career path there a lot, lot of people making a lot out of that career path mark Marin crushing it as curmudgeon comedian i want i want to be happy i really do and i i don't want to be alone ah <sighs> okay um Thanks for uh thanks y'all for just letting me fucking blab. I do not know how this is gonna come together. But I, I appreciate that I have you to listen. Lord knows my friends are so fucking tired of hearing about Wallet No Lady. Uh my friends are so tired with it, I feel like I lost a couple of friends in the process. But uh Andrea Allen texted me back before I started recording and uh Offer to offer to come over and bring me some emergency candy. So we will we'll see if she shows up with that. The sex positive quest for love. I think it's over. These will continue to be sex positive conversations that I will have. But I think that quest I was on when I was twenty four. When I started this thing, I found it. I had it in my hands and I squeezed it too fucking tight. 
And I don't know if they made more than one of these. And I don't know how much I'm being like overly dramatic or how much I'm just like properly feeling my feels. I don't know if I'm sounding like a like a bitch or someone who's hurt. I don't know if I'm sounding uh, extra or what. I'm just, you know, I'm just sharing where I'm at and trying to make any of it make sense to you because I don't even know if it really makes sense to me. Um, I think I'm going to stop now. Check the show notes for all the things I would normally say at the end of an episode. Oh, thank you all for listening. And stay slutty.